Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello, Tech fans, and welcome in to episode 139 of the Tech Sideline podcast, originating from TSL's High Tech Studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. On Saturday, there is a top 20 showdown in Chapel Hill as number 8 North Carolina hosts number 19 Virginia Tech as two rivals collide. We get you set for the game on the Tech Sideline podcast. It all gets started right now. So great to have you with us, episode 139 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Whether you're watching live on YouTube or archived on YouTube, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or on Stitcher, we are so glad you could join us as we record on Thursday afternoon, October the 8th. We've got our managing editor, Chris Coleman, our founder and general manager, Will Stewart, the best producer in the land, Malcolm Stewart, behind the scenes, taking your questions as we stream live today on YouTube. You can still join the chat, ask a question for Will and Chris. We'll get to those at the end of the show. And I am your podcast host, Evan Hughes. This week and every week, the Tech Sideline Podcast is presented by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses. The Fisher Law Firm handles cases throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia. To date, the firm has defended tens of thousands of people charged with moving violations. For a free consultation, you can call anytime, day or evening, toll-free, their number 1-800-680-7031. Again, that's 1-800-680-7031. Or email the Fisher Law Firm at info at fisherlegal.com. What a big week it is. Great weekend of college football. One of the premier matchups. Number 8, North Carolina. Number 19, Virginia Tech. We've been getting uh, everybody at techsideline.com ready for this matchup all week. And we uh, get to record our second podcast of the week. Will Stewart, it is a big one. And because it's a big one, we're going to YouTube Live for this, too. <laughs> I am masked up, mic'd up, and fired up. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, good, uh, good, good to go, man. Yeah. This is, uh, it's, you know, as football fans, you just sit around and wait for these games all year. You know, every time the, every time the schedule comes out, there's three games I look for, UVA, Miami, and UNC. You know, and, and I know everybody – we're playing text playing Clemson and all that stuff, but but this is one of the big ones, you know, to become a really big rivalry. And it really has become a bigger rivalry, Chris. It feels like in the last two years since Mac Brown has come back, you know, Larry Fedora, there were a couple of years where they were good, but it feels like this rivalry, there's more intensity to it over the last couple of years. Well, the games have been closer. <laughs> I think it's hard to feel like there's a lot of intensity when it's fifty nine to seven and you know, you're 
still throwing the ball in the fourth quarter with your backup quarterback. That should tell you right there with uh, what Justin Forte <laughs> feels about North Carolina. How he feels about you. Yeah. <laughs> we are actually going to talk about that a little bit on the uh, Tech Sideline podcast today. Again, brought to you by the Fisher Law Firm. We are going to analyze uh, number eight, North Carolina, number 19, Virginia Tech. We've got a bunch of notes. Look at Will Stewart printed out for us for those watching. Bunch of great notes. We're going to talk about position groups. We're going to talk about the Virginia Tech quarterback situation. We're going to talk about Justin Fuente's record as the coach of the Hokies against North Carolina teams and if there's any significance to that. So looking forward to a great show today. For those watching on YouTube, we do have a new addition to the podcast set. It is right over the right shoulder of Will Stewart. Will, uh, tell our viewers and our listeners who are listening right now, what do we have on the podcast set? We have over my right shoulder, I believe it's called a Heritage Banner from uh, Campus Emporium. I think it's, uh, what'd they say, eight inches wide by like 32 inches long. And it's 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 kind of cool. Like I remember when I was setting up my basement and <clears throat> figuring out what I was going to hang on the wall, you always got that odd spot that is not landscape format, but is more portrait format where you want to fit something skinny in. And that does that does the trick. It's uh, got some old school logos and new school logos on it, Twenty two ninety nine from Campus Emporium. And I will put the link to that in the uh, video description on YouTube. Tech Sideline Podcast also brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center. Each time we do a podcast, we're getting closer and closer to the start of wrestling season and should be a good one for Tony Roby and company. Yes. So, uh, let's, uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and dive right into it. A reminder, if you're watching on YouTube, go ahead and drop a question for Malcolm. We will read those live on the podcast at the end of the show. Hokies are coming off of a 38-31 win against Duke. Meanwhile, North Carolina coming off of a close win against Boston College over the weekend. We'll spend a lot of time on the Tar Heels. But let's start with a question that's on the mind of a lot of Hokie fans right now. The quarterback situation. We knew going into the season there would be a quarterback rotation. Hennon Hooker has not played the first two weeks of the season. Chris, who do you expect to be under center on Saturday for Virginia Tech? If he hasn't looked rusty in practice this week, I would expect it to be Hooker. You know, he was the guy that they announced as the starter. He was the starter last year. He's from North Carolina. He's from Greensboro. You know, so this would be a big game for him. I, I think ideally you'd like to add a you, – you'd like the passing game to be a little more balanced at this point. I would love to keep rushing for 314 or 320 yards a game or whatever it, whatever it was Tech did on Saturday. But uh, at some point, you know, you're going to need to be balanced. And I think Hooker probably brings the best opportunity uh, to be balanced. Now, now that said, it's it's not a surprise that Virginia Tech's passing game has struggled, and we talked about that on on Monday. Um, Burmeister was a scout team quarterback last year because he had to sit out, and then he had no spring practice, and then finally practice starts in August. And it gets interrupted at a time or two, and then he had to go into quarantine at, at one point and didn't come out the week before the NC State game. We didn't even know – we don't even know if – which receivers they had available at which points. You know, so – and the passing game is about timing and chemistry, and there just has not been an opportunity to develop that timing and chemistry with, with Burmeister behind center. Yeah, um, I don't think you can add a whole lot to that. Uh, um, I think for me, the question is, uh, th to me, this offense so far has looked so different from last year. You know, last year had the jet sweeps and a lot of mixed direction passes to the tight end and, and that kind of stuff. Stuff that's just been missing this year as, the, as they've, uh, I don't want to use the word vanilla, but the, the passing game has not, to me, has not looked complicated. And 
you know, they've just relied a lot on the traditional running game, even some read option stuff. Um, so fans always ask, and I always answer the same way, have the coaches been holding something back? They've been hiding something, waiting for the UNC game. No, coaches don't think like that. Um, some, sometimes they will lay tendencies down and have something in their pocket to go against tendency in, in a key situation in a key game. But coaches do not go into a game, particularly a conference game, with one hand tied behind their back like, oh, we're going to save some stuff for UNC. We're not going to give it all to NC State or Duke. We're going to save it for UNC. I'm pretty sure that has not been happening because coaches are smart. They believe every team you play against can beat you, and that's the way they coach. They're, they're not so arrogant as to hold things out. So um, it's kind of, a, kind of a roundabout answer. Um, I don't know if the offense will be different. You know, we'll see. Um, and that's one of the things I'll be looking for. Going back to what Coach Justin Fuente said before the season started again, that Hooker would start, but Burmeister had earned the right to play. If Hooker plays this week, do you expect him to be the QB1 the whole game, or do you expect to see Braxton Burmeister in some capacity? I expect to see both. Um, I mean, for let's say Hooker's the starter, then I'm going to assume Fuente would go back to his preseason statement saying that he's going to play both. Um, I certainly think Burmeister in the run game has been great. And I don't mean just mean him running the football himself. Uh, we've said from the beginning, we've heard that the coaches think Hooker's better in the passing game, Burmeister's better in the running game. And yes, he's fast, that's part of it. But a bigger part of it is the decision-making process. Uh, process on the read option and the timing of the handoff and, and everything like that and how hold how long you hold that linebacker and uh you just that's hard to explain unless you've ever played it and when i you know when i played back in the 1900s the, the uh the fake handoffs and the read option and everything like that they were they were just you know we, we did a little bit of that to a certain extent and and it's it's really really hard you know, you, you it's kind of the same with a regular old school I formation play action. The timing of it, and just the little things that are so difficult to grasp. Um, I I played the sport and I can't even fully grasp them. Like I can't pick out out on tape. It takes a quarterback coach to do that. I just think Burmeister is really really good at that. I, I think, uh, and I, and I think that helps the running game. Um, so I don't know that the running game will – like the running game might take a slight step back with Hooker, which is hard to believe, uh, I know, because mm-hmm. he's a fast guy and it greatly improved with him last year. I think we've gone from Ryan Willis, who was really bad at stuff like that, to Hooker, who who was pretty good at stuff like that, to Burmeister, who was borderline elite at, yeah. at stuff like that. So football is all about give and take. Whether it's offense, defense, I mean, you have to play the give and take game unless you just have like elite talent like Clemson and Ohio State and Alabama. So Tech is trying to get more balanced, of course. If, even if if you see Hendon Hooker out there, it's, it, it'll be because they're trying to be more balanced offensively. So they will they will get something in the passing game, but that might take a little bit away from the running game because Burmeister's so good at those reads and everything. And it's the same thing defensively, I, I think. Uh, we've seen so far Virginia Tech's defensive ends not crash down as much. They're not helping the defensive tackles much against the run. That's making the defensive ends play better. Like, they've got eight and a half sacks this year. 
already compared to the seven and a half they got all of last season. But it also helped, but it also leaves the defensive tackles who were undersized on more of an island. And we have not been as good against the traditional running game this year up the middle because those defensive ends aren't helping out as much. So I think this year we could actually see Virginia Tech be good against mobile quarterbacks because of the way they're playing their defensive ends and worse against the tr- traditional running game. Uh, you know, I'm going off into a tad tangent here, but it was something <laughs> I was thinking about earlier today. But football is all about give and, give and take. You know, yeah. when, you, when you try to make yourself better somewhere, it might make you worse somewhere else. That, that's just the way it is. And to, to continue along that tangent, um, you know, I, I haven't Chris, – Chris is the one who digs into the PFF grades, but – the play for at the linebacker spots doesn't appear to have been as productive. And you got to wonder if their assignments have changed somewhat and they're still trying to learn that. Um, so, you know, at the beginning of the Duke game, Duke came out and they really stacked the line against Virginia Tech. And Tech did not want to play Hendon Hooker last weekend. Uh, this week, if they, you know, let's say Burmeister starts, they, Tech comes out and lines up and they check and see what UNC is doing to defend. Um, and then they'll make adjustments. It's all about the in-game adjustments. But if I had to pick a ratio, if both guys are available, I'll bet it's somewhere between 2-1 to one and 3-1 to one in favor of Hooker. That's my guess. That sounds about right. Yeah. So, and it could depend on game situation as well. Like, let's say the, the fourth quarter starts and Tech is up by 10 points. You're going you to see just a lot run of Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yep. So let's transition to another story for the first couple of weeks of the season and for all college football teams across the country, and that's been COVID-19 and having certain players available. First week against North Carolina State, Tech was at without 23, uh, 23 players, and last week against Duke, they were without 21 players. Uh, the last two weeks uh, on Virginia Tech's Twitter account, we have found out about an hour before yep. how many players would be unavailable. So while we don't have the facts at this point, knowing who was unavailable last week, is it looking like Virginia Tech will be down members of the secondary again, or is that something we're going to have to wait and see on Saturday, who Virginia Tech will have available? So uh, I was not in the press box for the Duke game. I didn't go to Durham, but I was there for the uh, NC State game. And what they do is, to my knowledge, they, they weren't emailing and they were not tweeting it out either, Virginia Tech. Uh, I, I know for the NC State game, Pete Morris, the director of strategic communications, stood in the press box and read a list of players and one of the guys who's the best at typing on the fly is is Andy Bitter Andy's got the quickest trigger on Twitter (laughs) so about an hour before the game start watching Andy's Twitter to see what the announcement is it'll be 11 a.m. yeah I mean I mean they don't they don't email it to us we don't cut and paste they just stand there and they say it so that's how the information gets out there and so what was your question again? Just, you know, considering who Virginia Tech didn't have last week, they were down their top four cornerbacks. Mm-hmm. And if there's been any information that's come out, you know, knowing what we knew last week, is Virginia Tech likely going to potentially be down members of the secondary again? Uh, I think so. Not in mass like what you saw last weekend. Um, and we do, I don't think we want to get into specifics of naming names. Um there are guys coming back throughout the week, and Justin Fuente himself said that um, on in Monday's press opportunities. Um, you will see uh, more of the cornerback depth chart present than you saw last weekend. There just wasn't much there. Can't last get any weekend. lower. Right. <laughs> That's for sure. Now, some of those guys have come back Tuesday or Wednesday, and some are coming back Friday as far as the corners go. You will see 
a safety or two return. And in the case of Nadir Thompson, I think Thompson is listed as a safety, and he played corner last weekend. He'll be able to go back. I'm not saying he's going to start. Don't don't take that wrong. But he'll be able to go back and, and be depth at the uh, safety position. And I actually don't know the status of Divine Diablo or Keonta Jenkins. D- different things have been floated during the week. And uh, um, you'll, you'll have more guys present there than you had last weekend. Um, how ready will they be to go? Man, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, some have practiced more than others. Some yeah. will be like Raheem Blackshear against NC State. All they get is that walkthrough the day before the game, yeah. and, and that's it. And it's very difficult to go into that situation as a player. Um, you can pay attention on Zoom. You can read the game plan all you want, but if you're actually not out there playing football, it's difficult to be 100% ready. Yeah, and, and we've maintained all along that the issue with Jermaine Wallers is is, uh, is an injury-related issue. Yeah. And <clears throat> they're they're monitoring him, and they're they're – you know, last I heard, they're not sure if he's going to be able to play Saturday or not. Um, Let's transition to talking about Justin Fuente. You guys think a 12-1 and record's uh, pr- pretty good for uh, any coach, any I, sport? I would settle for it, yes. I want to talk about, and you, you touched on the beginning of the podcast, you know, it was the 59-7 to game, fourth quarter, back up in, and Virginia Tech still throwing the football. Uh, we saw uh, two years ago Justin Fuente and Bud Foster literally collide hugging each other and drop to the sideline in Chapel Hill. Justin Fuente against North Carolina teams. I want to read out the stats since he's been the coach of the Hokies. He is 2-0 against East Carolina. He's 1-0 against NC State. Uh, he is um, 1-0 against Wake Forest, 4-1 against Duke, and 4-0 against North Carolina. Chris, is beating North Carolina schools, especially UNC, a priority for Justin Fuente and his staff. I think it is for North for the University of North Carolina. Uh, you know, he's got better players than Wake. Uh, for the most part, he's got better players than NC State. Um, certainly has better players than Duke. Although, so it's ironic that the one loss was actually to Duke. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he to me, I think he absolutely is the, like like Will. You know, the UNC game is is one of the games he circles w- when the schedule comes out. Uh, maybe the game who knows because they recruit against unc so much and there's something about unc and i don't don't know if this extends to the mac brown era but i don't know if it's like unc that he doesn't really like or if it was larry fedora something rubbed him the wrong way early yeah yeah for sure you know they drilled him drilled him badly in 2016 and that was a big game remember both teams were ranked it was 17 versus 25 it was a hurricane game yeah and then 2017, you know, what I remember about the 2017 game is, you know, Tech, that was the NC to VT year. They were recruiting all those guys from North Carolina, and they brought all those guys from North Carolina up on a visit to the UNC game. So, like, Tisdale and Dax and all those guys were at Tech for their official visits, uh, or for at least for unofficial visits that weekend. So they clearly wanted to put on a good show there and beat them 59-7. to and I joke that, you know, 52-point win, my only complaint is that it wasn't a 53-point win. That's what I've always said. Mm-hmm. But uh, who was the Tech's backup quarterback that year? He was a Juco who was only here for a year. Bush? A.J. Bush. A.J. Bush. Who then eventually transferred to Illinois. Well, it's, you know, Fuente took the starters out, but he didn't change the offense. I mean, <laughs> they, they threw the ball on that last drive and scored. So, uh, But I don't know if that was a Larry Fedora thing or a UNC thing. Like – I'm sure, like, I like Mac Brown. I, ever, I think pretty much everybody who I've ever talked to has had 
any interaction with Mac Brown likes the guy. So I don't think like it's a it's like a, oh I can't stand Mac Brown type of deal. I, I think they get along fine. But like I said, I don't know if it's a I don't know I don't know if he would do that to Mac Brown. I don't know if he would still be throwing the ball in the fourth quarter if Tech happened to be up fifty two points. I would love to find out. Yeah, you know, I mean, at, at the beginning, it was recruiting North Carolina was a very important part of Fuente's strategy. And uh, so I think he wanted to make a statement against UNC in particular. Um, I think Mac and his staff have pretty much slammed the door on recruiting North Carolina for the time being. It's it's very difficult for Virginia Tech to get players out of North Carolina. And at the end of the Fedora regime, it wasn't. Particularly in Western North Carolina, Tech could go down there and, and be competitive. It's very difficult right now. But as far as the whole uh, uh, Mac Brown thing goes, I was watching. I watched the first half. I speed watched it, you know, of uh, UNC and Boston College, and I think that game was on ABC. So at one of these points, I'm going to go look at what networks UNC's games have been on. Virginia Tech has been shuffled off to the ACC network every time so far. Every time when they're not playing UNC, this one's going to be on ABC. But I think it was Tessitore doing uh, doing the play-by-play. And there there was a moment during the game where he was like, oh, you know, we all worked with Mac Brown. We love Mac Brown, just effusive in his affection for mm-hmm. Mac Brown. And that, that if people say, so what? Um, that That's a problem. You know, that's a problem in hype. That's, that is a tendency towards ESPN people to prefer Mac Brown and UNC over other teams to put them on ABC, to give them the more high-profile slots, you know, and, and in general love up to them when, uh, when they're on the, on the broadcast. All, all you can do is try to beat them. And, and if you get the opportunity, yes, beat them by as many points as possible. I, yeah. I mean, I remember that – what I remember about that 2017 game, and this is the year before Mac Brown got there, of course, but uh, I texted a staff member at Tech. Not a coach, but a staff member. Um, no, this person's not there anymore, so I don't want it. If anybody at Tech is watching this and wondering who that is, then we're not going to drop that, of course. But I texted him at halftime, and I think it was like 38 nothing Tech at that point. And I said, run it up, meaning run up the score. And the response was, don't worry, we are. Yeah. So so that's where Fuente was at that point yeah. in time. <laughs> Again, he's 12-1 and against North Carolina teams, and he is – is unbeaten against the Tar Heels since he took over the program a couple of years ago for Virginia Tech. So, uh, and if if the game is anything like it was last year, <laughs> we will be in for a treat. We've been talking about uh, the different years Virginia Tech and North Carolina since Justin Fuente's gotten here. And before we look at this year's North Carolina team and the matchup, I promise we're going to go through position groups and, and do a deep dive. I want to go back to last year because when we did the Duke preview. Last week, I brought up the big loss uh, last year in Lane Stadium and the impact it had. Let's talk about the impact that the 43-41 six-overtime game had. Virginia Tech was coming into that game at 4-2. and two. They had beaten Miami, then they beat Rhode Island, and they had North Carolina. When you look back at that game, did that win, you think, help spark something for Virginia Tech down the stretch last year? Like, How much credit do you give to Virginia Tech's success? If they lose that game, does that season look anything different? Because after North Carolina, they lose by one to Notre Dame. So when you look, how do you look back on that game and the impact it had a year removed? So that that's a, that's a good and interesting question. Um, I, I don't know how many fans out there agree with me on this. But so the question was asked on the message board, who would you rather be, UNC or Miami? 
um, I'd rather Virginia Tech beat UNC. Um, and I bring that up because you referenced that uh, the, the two and two, they've lost to Duke and they go down and they have a good performance and they beat Miami. But as we've learned from watching Miami and Virginia Tech over the years, it's a bo- it's Forrest Gump's box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get because that team is so up and down. You never know if they're going to stomp you or you're going to stomp them. Or they're going to players are going to miss curfew and you lose to FAU. So so right? from some standpoint, it it uh, it's it's a roll of the dice against Miami and it doesn't quote unquote mean as much. So you said they were four, uh, three and two at that point, right? Or four and three? Virginia Tech was four and two going into the North four Carolina game. There's a big difference between five and two and four and three, <laughs> especially if you go and lose to Notre Dame the next week and you're four and four and it's just a mediocre season. So that, that was a critical game. Yes, Miami was critical, but so was UNC. And it launched the, the growing legend of uh, Quincy Patterson. <laughs> I, I look back on that game, Chris, and I think about the 2019 home schedule that was. And I remember doing the preseason podcast with you guys and talking about how this was one of the down years yeah, for Virginia Tech and yeah. not a marquee yeah. opponent. Well, you think about the Wake Forest game, what that turned out to be for Bud Foster, but you look at the North Carolina game, that's certainly one of the games of the decade. All time. And, but, I mean, but the home schedule turned out to be entertaining last yeah. year. If only it hadn't rained for the pit game, that would have been a really, really entertaining game if it hadn't been pouring buckets for the entire time. But, yeah, uh, yeah you know, for me, I think it was that game, yes, in the moment it was exciting and everything, but it continued to put the Duke game further into the rearview mirror, right? All right, so Virginia Tech loses to Duke 45-10 to 10 on a Friday night, and everybody's angry. Eight days later, they everybody's expecting to get steamrolled by Miami, and instead it's the other way around. Tech's up 28 nothing, just like that, and you're like, whoa, that was awesome. What a great turnaround. But still on the back of your head, you're like – but this is still the same team That's that lost so Duke forty-five to ten, <laughs> right? Right, you know. And then you play Rhode Island the next week, and you don't really take them seriously. You're you're on your emotional roller coaster. You're resting some starters, so you do what you have to do against Rhode Island, and you beat them. So you want to see it against somebody else besides Miami, right? And if you do that, then yeah, you can you can finally p- close the book on the Duke game. I think that's uh, fair. To, so, yeah. to a certain extent. Uh, and I think after that game, uh, yeah, I, I, think that, I think that helped the psyche of the fan base tremendously. Even with the Miami win, I don't think they were completely over the Duke game. But, oh, yeah. but yeah. W- w- once they beat UNC and they got a pretty special moment like that, then I think that really helped them. Now, now, it's, now to me, it's like that Duke game. I wrote it this past week. It was like... We're going to make jokes about that game one day, like the 1998 Temple game. Like, it never happened, <laughs> right? Like, it's just one you just don't want to talk about. And, and this year's game serves the same purpose. There's a big difference between 3-0 and and 2-1. and Let's go ahead and transition to this year's game. Number 8, North Carolina. Number 19, Virginia Tech. Both teams are ranked. Both teams are undefeated. Tar Heels, 2-0. and They have wins over Syracuse. That was early in September, and then they had a <laughs> large wait a couple of weeks before they played Boston College this past Saturday. They were able to slip by the Eagles. Of course, the Hokies are 2-0 with wins over NC State and Duke. Will, the biggest strength of this North Carolina team is what? A very broad category offense. <laughs> Everybody wants to say the passing game. Um, the passing game has not been particularly stout for them this year. There's still a lot of potential there. And to give you an example, uh, and I, I use this in our game preview, which is already up on the site, 
<clears throat> on UNC's first possession last year, they finished it with a 47-yard touchdown pass to Daz Newsom, who gave Tech fits all day long. 47 yards in one play. Daz has 31 yards receiving so far this year. Three Just catches, three receptions. three receptions, 31 yards. Um, there is, of course, a, another stat that Chris has said in, in two articles now that uh, Sam Howell has yet to complete a pass more than 20 yards downfield. If you look in his statistics, he's got a long completion of something like 38 or 41 yards, but that's a catch and run. He has not complete, the ball has not hit the receiver's hands and been caught 20 plus yards downfield yet. Three touchdowns, three interceptions after being 38 and seven last year. So they're just not there and they're, they're not clicking yet. Um, but they've got the potential. And I, and I think something that gets underappreciated is, is their running game. Michael Carter and uh, number 25. Javante uh, Williams. Javante Williams. Those guys, you know, I'm, I don't remember. Chris, you may have put this in an article this week. I read this somewhere. It was. It may have been in your Herbert piece where you were talking about elusive and yards after contact and all that stuff. Michael Carter is a guy that he's yeah. way up in the top. Breaking he, Which is amazing. If you remember last year's game, Khalil Ladler making the one-on-one tackle. I believe that was against Michael Carter right there on the goal line. Yep. Most people don't tackle Michael yeah. Carter that like that. I remember when Ladler wound up in isolation with Carter, me thinking, oh, man, this is not good. And, and it turned out to be good. <laughs> so coming into this year, when you look at the ACC, of course, Trevor Lawrence is – proclaimed to be the best quarterback, not only in the conference, but the country. And then it's a couple of other really good quarterbacks of Ian Book at Notre Dame. But the consensus, it felt like Sam Howell was right behind Lawrence in that number two spot. Yeah, yep. The numbers for Howell this year, you kind of touched on it, Will. 39 of 60. He's completing 65% of his passes. 520 yards through the air, three touchdowns, three picks. You look at the Tech game last year, Howell, 26 of 49, 348 yards, five touchdowns, no picks. <laughs> Chris, is Howell in a sophomore slump? Are you buying the numbers he's put up the last two weeks? Is this just a slow start to the year? Do you think he's taking us a little bit of a step back to start this year? You know, I think everybody who's read my writing enough through the years or watched this podcast knows how I feel about North Carolina. But even I'm not going to take this opportunity to throw dirt and say that, yeah, it's a sophomore slump. I just think UNC is affected by this COVID situation like everybody else. Uh, I did some research on it yesterday, and they first shut down their program for a minimum of a week back in July, basically as soon as they came back. Then they shut it down again in August when the students came back, and that interrupted their practice. And, you know, I, I think it's probably safe to say that they had some guys out at that time. Um, and then they they – they that get it, that this, didn't play for two weeks. Well, right. Um, they, they get the season started. First of all, we don't know how many guys they had out because they weren't playing, so they didn't have to announce names or numbers or anything like that. Um, but they, they finally get rolling against Syracuse on September 12th. where And that was after a few weeks where I just think they were sort of like Virginia Tech. They probably were practicing with not that many guys. And they didn't. They could, they could. They were winning that Syracuse game 7-6 to six going into the fourth quarter before they finally woke up and won it 31-6. to six. Then the next week, Charlotte canceled on them. And then after that, I think they had a buy. So they went from you know, having things interrupted for them a lot during the preseason to playing a game and then not playing for two straight weeks. And then they come back against, against BC, and again, they look rusty because they hadn't played for so long. From 
September 12th to October 3rd. That's a long time being off. So I just think football's about rhythm, man. Uh, rhythm and depth and, and, and just being in game shape. And I think that's affected them a lot. And it especially affects the passing game when, like I said, timing is so is so important and rhythm is so important. So I think that has hurt them. I think playing two games in a row will be good for them. Um, I think that's part of it. Now, if there's another cause in there, too, that maybe somebody inside the UNC program knows, I, I don't know. But to me, from the outside looking in, I, th- I think that's the biggest issue for them. Or at least if I say that's the biggest issue for Virginia Tech's passing game, I have to say that about UNC also, right? Yeah, I mean, how many passing games have you seen this year that you would say are in rhythm? Uh, Mike Leach had a good first first game down. Uh, is he at Mississippi State? Yeah, Mississippi yeah State. and then they State. lost last week. And you know, Clemson's been Clemson. <laughs> yeah, um, Alabama's looked good. And I, and I think I think Miami's looked pretty good. But I, how much of that is Derek King breaking the pocket and making plays, or how much of it is, you know, drop back and hit the open receiver right. type stuff? Um, and we don't like. Some teams have been affected more than others as far as numbers at practice and how they've shut down. Like, we know Virginia Tech has shut down. And yeah. I'm guessing that North Carolina, well, I know they shut down twice. Yeah, that was publicly so I'm, announced. So I'm guessing they've had some numbers issues, too, and that hurt them. But I don't know that for a fact. Yeah, yeah. For other programs, you know, I, I can't make the same guess. So, But but don't don't think that Sam Howe is just a guy who passes the football. Um, I, th- I think his escapability in the pocket is very good. Um He's a real pain in the butt because he gets out of the pocket and he, and he surveys the field and he makes sure there's nothing open in the passing game before he tucks and runs. And and so, again, I, I speed watched that first half against BC and he made some really nice plays. Um, and he's fast. He is uh, – I don't know if he's Braxton Burmeister fast, but he's fast. He's mobile. He's fast and, enough. And he's tough. Yeah. You know? uh, is, is it fair to say that this is the second toughest quarterback tackle face all year minus Trevor Lawrence and Clemson at the end of the year? That's that's probably accurate. Uh, Kenny Pickett is so mobile that, you know, if he ever got the passing game going completely, then I think he'd be really, really yeah, dangerous. Don't, don't sleep on that guy for Boston College, man. He's uh, – I don't know his name, but they've, they've got a <laughs> – Gotta, Don't know his name, but he's pretty good. <laughs> uh, it's some, it's some, you know, typical north, uh, kind of northeast. I think his first name's Tom, and his last name is Polish, and he's like six five. You know, he's he really suits Boston College, and and I was impressed with a little bit I watched. And they've got a new so, coach. Uh, well, in Boston and the last past week against UNC, they threw the ball fifty three times and mm-hmm. ran it nineteen times, and that includes three sacks. We- That's like. The world's turned upside down, man. What is Boston College doing? You're not running the football and you're just throwing it all over the place. So, which is weird because in watching that one half, I don't again, I don't remember the name of their running back, but he, he's a he's not uh, he's not AJ Dillon, but he's a tank. And there was one running play where he went up the middle and he ran over two separate UNC players. And I thought, wow, Boston College got the running game again. And, and then I found out later, no, they're not running the football. You know that UNC's had an issue with tackling this year. Yeah. Um, even Chaz Surratt, the guy gets so much credit, the linebacker. But, you know, he only graded out like a 52 out of 100 against the run last year by yeah. PFF. He missed 28 tackles last year yeah. as a linebacker. Yeah, now, he's yeah. a dominant pass rusher. Now, they play him on the inside, and I don't think he's a natural inside linebacker, and, and that hurts him. But, uh, you know. So, so Evan's dying to say something. What? Well, no, so, no, I was just saying, believe me, that. that there's a lot of numbers about this North Carolina defense and, and the and the rush defense that they have. We're going to get to the defense. I want to we're going to take a break in just a moment. Recapping the offense real quick, I think one of the more telling stats for North Carolina, number eight in the country, right? Their receiving core, they've got a couple of terrific receivers, yeah. 
But I want to go back to a point that was made earlier. Daz Newsom, just three receptions on the season for North Carolina. How good is the receiving core? And is, is Virginia Tech catching North Carolina at a good time with the fact that he really hasn't been that effective uh, for Virginia uh, for North Carolina on the outside? Yeah, are we answering this now or after the break? Um, no, no, no. We're going to finish right. the offense and then take a break. They're quite good. Um, Diami Brown's dangerous down the field. Corrales is like a strong possession guy. Man, I love Bo Corrales. Yeah, he's a good player. And he's, he's a great blocker, too. Um, Daz Newsome, really, really dangerous guy in the slot. So I think they've got good balance there with their wide receivers. You know, I think they've got a deep threat on the outside, a possession guy on the outside, and then a slot guy who can kind of do it all. So I really like their balance. And uh, so, yeah, they're dangerous. I would say I would have rather caught them last week, right, right, right after they hadn't played for two weeks. Yeah, but at the same yeah. time, Virginia Tech would have been without almost all their secondary last week, and I don't know what Virginia Tech's secondary numbers are going to look like this week either. So I really don't know. But yeah, I know when they're when they're operating on all cylinders, when they've all been together, when they've all been practicing, and when everything's in rhythm. Um, they're extremely dangerous. Um, they're, you know, they're, they're so balanced. Their offense is, I mean, the receivers and Howell get all the credit, but and they deserve every piece of credit they get, but they're, they're a dangerous offense because they're balanced, because they've got Carter and Williams, who were very good players. And, and each of them ran for about 1,000 yards last yeah, year. Yeah, right? um, I forget. The, uh, let's see. Carter ran for 1,003 yards, and I think Javante Williams was around 950, something, yeah. something like that. So that, That's crazy that, that, that you can have a guy like Sam Howe throwing like he did. And, and, and have basically have two almost 2,000-yard two two rushers. Rush. Yeah, that, that's that's a great sign of balance. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I bet UNC fans are pretty disappointed because when you've got all of that returning, you expect to go out there and dominate people, yeah. right, when all those guys come back. But it hadn't quite been that way. But at some point this year, it it's could return to form, right? And it, I hope it's not this week. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at their career numbers as well, which is pointed out, by the way, if you go to techsideline.com, Chris's game preview article's up. It's a great read. Michael Carter career over uh, over 2,300 rushing yards, and then Javante Williams is over 1,200 rushing yards in their careers, which is you don't really see that with two backs in a college offense, especially you know an up-tempo offense like North that Carolina likes to, likes to run. Around, and and yeah. Carter, Carter's a guy who also has, uh, I think, 64 catches for his career. So, uh, you know, they, they, they've got, he's a versatile back. So it's, a, it's, it's an ideal offense uh, for the most part. I, I think their offensive line is, is the weak point. Let's there. go ahead and transition to the offensive line real quick. You put in your article, Chris, according to Pro Football Focus, their offensive line a 59.7 grade, which is 12th in the, the ACC. In run blocking. In, in run, run blocking. blocking. So uh, when you look at this offensive line, they don't have any seniors. Right. And then I want to talk about Virginia Tech's defensive line for a moment because, Will, they're coming off of a terrific day against Duke. They c- compiled seven sacks. Is there a chance this game is won in the trenches? Is this an opportunity for Tech's front seven to get pressure early on that offensive line? Well, I think that oh, they're going to have to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I mean, I think Chase Bryce made some easy made things easy for Tech on a few plays last week uh, that yeah, I don't I think really UNC do. will, will do the, uh, this time. Like Belmar's, like all most of Belmar's, at least two of his sacks were unblocked, right? Um, so that's that's a schematic thing, and uh, and then Brandon Patterson broke down really well about how Bryce just basically 
turned right into Belmar on one play. Right. And, and, and that's all on Bryce. Uh, yeah. So Duke did some wrong things that I don't think Howell will do, although he did take a couple sacks last year when he just didn't get rid of the ball against Tech. But it's true. He's, a, he's, a, he's an older quarterback now, so we'll see. But, but yes, um, ideally you want to come after him and put some pressure on him. Howell has been okay, not great against the Blitz th- this year. Um yeah, I mean, you, you can't let him sit there and just pick you apart the whole time because at some point, no matter how, to, no matter how much everybody's been practicing, if you let, if you give him four or five seconds every time back there, you know he's going to get then you. Then he'll get into a rhythm. Yep. Um, so we we get the debut of Justin Hamilton this week, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. I mean, he could have had his debut against that NC State quarterback whose name I've already forgotten, but he was Devin so Leary, bad. Or, uh, no, uh, was the Bailey Hockman. Bailey, yeah. Bailey. Oh, gosh. By, by the way, Devin Leary tore, he tore it up, up against Pittsburgh. And, and he was the QB of the week. Um, and now you instead make your debut against UNC. Uh, oh, boy. Maybe you'll have your secondary. Maybe you won't. So I, I, but I thought, you know, I thought week one, though, the blitz calls were really well timed. The time timing was, you was know, and, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And, and I'm not sure we really saw that and didn't really need it against Duke. So that, that may be a key component of, of this week's game. You know, do you bring the linebackers to put pressure on Hal? Uh, I actually don't. I mean, they've got a senior tight end. Uh, Who's not? Garrett Walton. Garrett Walston. Um I don't know anything about him. I don't know how strong the tight end game is. They don't we, throw it to him. I know that. Yeah, yeah, but they do have Carter coming out of the backfield, so if, if you empty your linebackers, uh, that could burn you. So last question about the offense before we step aside for a break. Take out Sam Howell. If Virginia Tech is able to contain X player for North Carolina's offense, you feel good about their chances. What player is that on their offense? My choices are Daz Newsome because he hurt Tech so bad last year. They did such a great job um, isolating him, particularly, I think, against Jamari Connor. Um, so the ones that come to mind are Daz Newsome and Michael Carter, but I'm going to go with Carter. That's a guy you gotta you got to slow down. I, I think so. I, I think, ideally, you know, UNC is going to be their most dangerous if, if they're – balanced yeah so if you can keep them from being balanced you stand a better chance to, to win the game so stop that run on first down yeah yeah so to me that i, I would pick carter last year daz newsome against virginia Tech, nine receptions 112 yards and two touchdowns michael carter last year 13 uh, attempts on the ground 91 yards and a long of 28 average seven yards a carry Jeez. so both are are really good players it's a really good north carolina offense but i think we pointed out maybe a weak spot that offensive line opportunity for virginia tech's defensive line and front seven let's go ahead and take a break here on the tech sideline podcast but when we come back we're going to talk about the former quarterback, Chaz Surratt, the inside linebacker, and one of their top cornerbacks, one of the best names in college football, Storm Duck. You're watching and listening to episode 139 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, brought to you by the Fisher Law Firm. If you have received a DUI or other traffic-related offense, the road ahead can seem uncertain. Here at Fisher Law Firm, we have a team that is with you every step of the way. We have the experience that comes along with having defended more than 30,000 criminal and traffic cases statewide and the expertise to get the job done. Call anytime, day or evening, for your free consultation or a complimentary copy of my book. Don't forget to ask us about our free appeal guarantee. To learn how we can help solve your problem, check us out at FisherLegal.com. This is Jonathan Fisher, Class of 98. Let's go, Hokies. Welcome back in episode 139 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. It's so great that you are with us. We are recording on Thursday afternoon, October 8th, getting set for number 8 North Carolina 
Number 19, Virginia Tech. Two unbeaten teams. Two rivals colliding at noon in Chapel Hill on Saturday. Chris Coleman, Will Stewart, Malcolm Stewart. I'm Evan Hughes back with you. Uh, we're going to get to your questions uh, at the end of the show. If you're watching live on YouTube, be sure to continue to drop those. All right, we talked about the North Carolina offense. Let's transition to the North Carolina defense. And I'll actually start with a headline that Chris Coleman has in his game preview up on TechSideline.com right now. It reads, UNC good against the run, but, but how, how good? good? Virginia Tech coming in today, we know how good this rushing attack has been. Number three in the country, Virginia Tech, in rushing yards per game. But North Carolina is number one in rushing defense. So, Chris, I will ask the question that you asked in your game preview UNC is good against the run, but how good are the Tar Heels? It's so hard to say. You know, they haven't played anybody who could run the ball at all. Um, Boston College, I think their best game running was when they had 87 yards against Texas State. And by the time the UNC game came around, they realized they were so bad at running that they just decided to quit running, not even try. And then their first game was against Syracuse. And I read an interesting article doing research for the UNC preview that during Dino Baber's tenure, 16 of his off, of his 30 scholarship offensive linemen have either missed multiple games an entire season or had their career ended due to injuries, and a 17th quit the team. So Syracuse never has enough offensive linemen to block anybody, so their running game is quite horrible. So uh, there's, there's your preview okay, okay, with the stats thanks. in it. Okay, so Syracuse – Ran for 68 yards against UNC, 1.8 yards per carry. Against Pitt, who has a very strong defense the next week, 51 yards, 1.5 yards per carry. They got 163 yards and 4.1 yards per carry against Georgia Tech, but, you know, Georgia Tech is, despite their victory over Florida State, I think <laughs> I think we've learned a lot about Florida State since then, haven't yes, we? Yes, we have. And, uh, Boston College. Boston College had 42 carries for 84 yards against Duke, two yards a carry. Then they had 87 yards and 3.2 yards per carry against Texas State, and then 40 yards and 2.1 yards per carry against UNC. So UNC has not challenged anybody, or excuse me, not been challenged by anybody in the running game. Yeah. No, you can do the same thing for Virginia Tech's rushing offense, right? So the NC State rush defense, they held Pitt, to 92 yards, 2.5 yards per carry, and Wake to 149 yards and 3 yards per carry. Virginia Tech gassed them for 314 and 7.7 yards per carry. So mm -hmm. NC State in their other two games has been good against the run. Um, and let's see. And Duke. Duke's rush defense. Duke shut down BC, which everybody has done to BC by now. Uh, they gave up 178 yards and 4.2 yards per carry to Notre Dame. 88, uh, excuse me, 188 yards, 5.1 yards per carry against UVA. Virginia Tech, 324 yards, 6.1 yards per carry. So Duke has been middling against the run, and then they got dominated by Virginia Tech. So Virginia Tech is doing better. We, we know that Virginia Tech is doing much, much better against the run, against their two opponents so far than anybody those defenses has faced. So uh, we just don't know much about UNC. They could be great. They could be mediocre. We, we don't know because they've just faced two awful rushing defenses. Well, let me ask you this. The story of Virginia Tech's first two games of the season has been the fact that they've rushed over 300 yards as a team and wins against NC State and Duke. 
Does this game come down to Virginia Tech being able to run the football effectively and North Carolina stopping the run or vice versa? Is that the story of this game? Is that who wins the game, whoever dominates? It's going to play a huge role. It may not be the only role. Um, you know, special teams and turnovers and things like that might enter into it. But in, in a in a in a world where crazy stuff doesn't happen, you know, like twenty nineteen or twenty eighteen, but not twenty twenty. Um <laughs> uh it, yeah, Virginia Tech has to run the ball well. I'm not saying they got to run for 300 yards, but um, let's say Sam Howell gets in a rhythm, or let's say Michael Carter gets in, gets in a running rhythm. Virginia Tech needs to have the football, and they need to possess it, and they need to keep it away from those guys. And you do that with the running game, you know. And 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 as bizarre as this sounds, um, Khalil Herbert ripping off 80-yard touchdown runs <laughs> is good for the stats, but it actually doesn't control the flow of the game. I'm not saying you don't want the guy busting some long runs. You do. But um, can, can Virginia Tech avoid the three and outs and hold on to the ball? And, and Because even, even if all of the defensive backs come back, they're not in football shape. You know, So you, just, you cannot keep giving the ball back to UNC. Uh, so let's say you run for one yard on first down and throw two incomplete passes. That's no time off the clock, and right back to them it goes. You can't do that sort of thing. So – it, it may be the key determining factor. So, Looking at more of this defense, you talked about Chaz Surratt and how good yeah. he looks to be yeah. uh, in stopping uh, think, the run. My mom's family is actually the Surratt's from North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's the side of the family. So I'm, if you go back far enough, I'm probably related to Chaz somewhere, but I hope cousin Chaz has, his, uh, has a bad game you on know, Saturday. It really is one of the <clears throat> remarkable stories to think about how he went from a quarterback to a linebacker, and not just a linebacker, a really good linebacker and someone who might be an NFL draft prospect. You just don't see that that, yeah, that often in college football. Yeah. yeah, it was weird. I had uh, you expected linebackers to be loud and demonstrative and things like that. I, I sat for the second half and overtime of last year's UNC game. I sat in the front row right behind UNC's bench, and after every drive, he'd just come and sit on the sideline by himself and not talk to anybody. Hmm. It was weird. Last uh, year against Virginia Tech, led the team in tackles with 17. Yeah, yeah. And Two all, tackles for loss and a sack. Uh-huh, and if I remember correctly, he also had the low, their lowest grade on defense. Like, lineback, middle linebackers make tackles. That's just what they do. It doesn't mean they're necessarily playing well. He missed a t- – he messed up on a lot of plays against Tech last year, so it goes both ways. And like I said, his run defense is – not historically been strong. It's been a little better this year than it was last year, but last year it was bad. Now what he is is one of the elite pass rushing linebackers in college football, which is why I say, you know, I, I think maybe in the NFL, I don't know, he's only 6'2", 225, so he's not really big enough for like the traditional outside linebacker role in the NFL either in like a 3-4 defense. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, So he's kind of a tough guy to figure out what to do with at that level, but uh, – That'll be something to watch for, like tomorrow. Tomorrow, excuse me, uh, Saturday. Saturday. Uh, mm-hmm. Their inside linebackers aren't that big. Six three. Well, those are their OLBs. Yeah, yeah right. uh, inside linebackers six one two twenty five and six two two twenty five, and their their backups aren't that big either. One of them's Eugene Asante, by the way. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So Tech has been physical up the middle with you know Brock Hoffman. So we'll you know I think. I think that's a good matchup for Tech, running the ball between the tackles. Uh, now they are fast and everything like that, so so we'll see. Um, so I, it's it's interesting. UNC lists a defensive ta- a defensive end, a nose, and a defensive tackle, and then four linebackers. Yeah. So, but but I mean, 
there's just a whole lot of gr- it used to be back in the day oh it's either a 4-3 or a 3-4 three, 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 four, four, and yeah. there's just multiple fronts and I mean if you look at their outside linebackers I mean Tamon Fox 6-3 and a quarter 2-55 Tyrone Hopper I mean these are stand up defensive ends I mean Tamon Fox I'm pretty sure was recruited as a defensive end I, I think Virginia Tech offered him like he came down to Tech and UNC and picked UNC on signing day and Tech was recruiting him as a defensive end so this is there there'll be times where this looks just as much like a four man front as it does a four three or five man, man front. front right and looking at this secondary real quick Storm Duck sophomore at cornerback Kyler McMichael sophomore at corner strong safety Don Chapman is a sophomore and then Trey Morrison the free safety is a junior so you only have one upperclassman in the secondary for North Carolina is and it, it's rumored that Duck might not play that's uh, I, I haven't drilled into it he's all. questionable I've just yeah. seen the discussion on the boards and things like that so maybe that's an opportunity for Virginia Tech offensively to take advantage of a young secondary well I would say so if they didn't go nine of twenty-five in the passing game last week, right? But but yes, if um, Hook, yes, if well, I mean, if, better, if the passing game is better, then yes, absolutely. Uh, I don't expect them to go up and down the field passing on UNC. I, I don't think they're going to be able to do that, whether it's Hendon Hooker or Braxton Burmeister. I mean, even with Hendon back, I mean, my gosh, it's it's October third and he hasn't played a game yet. Yeah, you know. Uh, We're acting like you're just going to plug Hendon sure. Hooker. I in. mean, right, right. Guy. This isn't necessarily going to be Wake Forest of last year, Hendon yeah. Hooker. This is going to be Hendon Hooker that hasn't played a football game in 10 months. Yikes. So. Now I'm depressed. I know. I, well, here, I, here, I hate, here, don't you hate it when I've I got do something that. I can cheer you up with. we got to talk about special teams before we get predictions in, right? Right. And it looks like, according to Chris's but, but article. But don't we have to talk about grit gear yes, first before was, we talk we're about We're going to do that right before the prediction. We can do grit now. You want to do grit now? Let's do grit now. Let's do grit now. Okay. And then we'll talk about special teams. Grit, proud sponsors of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Look at these hats. Look at the mask. So do you still have their website up on your laptop? I can pull it up in two seconds. Because I'm wearing a keep jumping mask that they shipped to us as along with the, the black grit mask. But I'm not sure if they actually offer that. They um, have a, a keep jumping right? uh, in a little bit of a darker color, it looks like, than that gray. It might Good, just be it needs the to be darker because the orange on my prototype doesn't really stand but out. You can get a, a three-ply face mask, charcoal color, $8 on the grit website, as well as an all-black one with white outline that says grit. So, All right, now let's move on to special teams. Now we can move on. I think Will should keep that hat on for the remainder of the podcast. Sure. It looks good. I like black hats. So if you to cheer you up a little bit, Will, uh, according to Chris's uh, article here, North Carolina has the worst special teams rating in the ACC with a score of 59.2. Meanwhile, yeah. Virginia Tech is number five at 76.4. You alluded to the fact that Khalil Herbert and the big runs that he had last week on kickoff yeah. returns How much certainly does that helped skew them. it? Here is your uh, stat of the day, by the way. Redshirt senior place kicker Grayson Atkins, tr- grad transfer from Furman, played against Virginia Tech last year, was their hmm. punter and kicker. Oh, the yeah, yeah. When Virginia Tech uh, escaped Furman last year at Lane Stadium 24-17. to uh, So, anyways, there's your random stat of the day that I found in my prep. But it does look like Virginia Tech has a chance to take advantage here in special teams. But... North Carolina, Michael Carter is going to be returning kicks, and Daz Newsom fielding punts, both big play guys. Man. Yeah, they are. So their special teams ranking isn't good right now, but it's a, such a small sample size. And, and if I'm right about them being impacted to a certain extent by COVID early in the season, Virginia Tech special teams didn't play well in the first game either. For special teams is the first – when you have a depth issue – Special teams is the first thing to get impacted by yeah. that, even like, more than you, the offense. Did you quit practicing, and, right? Exactly. Yeah. Like, uh, 
So I'm not going to judge him too hard on that. I know Michael Carter's, though, is capable of making big plays. Daz Newsom on punt return is capable of making big plays. As great as Khalil Herbert has been at returning kicks, their kickoff specialist is Jonathan Kim. 100% of his kickoffs for touchdown this year. It's going to be hard for Khalil touchbacks, Herbert touchbacks. to run. Uh, excuse me, touchbacks. It's going to be hard for Khalil Herbert to run one back for a touchdown if they're going out of the end zone, right? So that kind of negates the Herbert advantage there. So I, I don't. They're not as bad as I don't think is 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 that ranking in, indicates. Uh, and and it's it's too early, too early. Even even if they are, it's too early to know. Yeah. So to me, like I. I think special teams is kind of a wash. I do think it's an area of the game where if either team makes a big play, it could swing things in their well, favor. I think Virginia Tech has the advantage in, in place kicking. Uh, the, yeah. the last kick Brian Johnson missed was against UNC Oh, my God. Year. You just – you, know you know what you've done. Hey, man, let's put it out there. All right, let's <laughs> put it out there. We, we trust Brian. He's, 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 he's on a roll. One thing I do – I'll mention before we move on to predictions. So going back to the redshirt senior kicker, Grayson Atkins coming over from Furman. Uh, last year he was 7 of 9 from beyond 40 yards. But he's 0 of two, 0 for two from that range yeah, in and, 2020. And one of those is beyond 50. I, I don't know the length of the one. Uh, but you know, if he if he was seven of nine last year, then that's probably more indicative of of what well, he's what he can kicking do definitely uh, was a factor last year in the six overtime yes, oh, yeah, oh, game was. between Virginia Tech and North Carolina. So uh, the reason we spent a little bit of time on special teams, I'm doing prep for this, and I'm thinking you never know when uh, special teams can, can be the deciding factor, which in a way mm-hmm. it was last year. So so, um, so if you want to you know, give yourself a little happy shot, just go watch Greg Stroman's punt return from the uh, 2017 game. When Fuente's oh, running down the sideline. Running down right? the sideline with him. <laughs> he, he wasn't quite as fast as Greg, but he was trying. <laughs> All right, let's transition now. Uh, it's time to get picks. We're over just over an hour in. This has been a great podcast, a lot to get through. And then, Malcolm was telling me during the break that we do have a lot of questions. We're going to get to those for those watching on YouTube live. Gentlemen, I'm going to ask you for a score prediction as well as who you think is going to win the game. I'm going to start with Chris, and then we're going to go to Will. Chris Coleman, who wins between number 8 North Carolina and number 19 Virginia Tech? I think it's a coin flip game. Um, If I knew with certainty which tech defensive backs were coming back, and if certain if I, if I knew certain ones were going to be back, I, I would actually I would pick tech. But I don't know, right? And like if if I knew Armani Chapman and Breon Murray were back and they had practiced all week, I would pick tech. But I, I don't know that, right? Maybe they're both out. Maybe they're not out. I, I, so I I just think that. I think North Carolina finally being able to play two weeks in a row will help their passing game. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. And I don't like that against backup defensive backs. If Tech has to play backup defensive backs, we'll see. So I picked it 34-31 UNC, but it could easily be the other way around, um, depending on plenty of things. Uh, what, what, what if Hendon Hooker is 100% and not rusty and – he makes the and he's taken the steps everybody thinks you should take between your sophomore and junior year. We we don't know that. Uh, we don't know that he has or hasn't. We don't have any evidence on Hendon Hooker at all this year. Um, what if Storm Duck doesn't play? That takes away their, in my opinion, their best football player on defense is is Storm Duck and, and not Chaz Surratt. Um, so many unknown factors. I'm going to pick UNC as much as it pains me to do it because Tech was missing a lot of defensive backs last week. 
<laughs> that's all I got. <laughs> yeah. So, I, so in my, if you go read our prediction, I basically, I basically say I'm, I'm, I'm picking with the heart this time around, um, and and I go in a little more, bit more depth. I can see a path to victory for each team here, um, and not just through wacky special teams plays and turnovers and things like that. If Virginia Tech uh, controls the running game, and uh, you know has has a lot of success in the running game, and is able to pressure. Sam Howell with, with, with the front seven, then I, then I like Tech's chances. If UNC gets the running game going, gets the passing game going, I don't like Tech's chances. So in the end, I pick a 41-35 Virginia Tech. So this is one of the instances where Chris and I make different picks. And uh, Jeff Holland, former defensive tackle for Virginia Tech, and, uh, and I mentioned this in the write-up, uh, Jeff, I, I knew that he had sent me this. He sent me a spreadsheet of all of our game predictions way back to 2005 when Chris started working for us full time so apparently we've been doing it that long wow 15 years and 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 jeff broke it down in all different kinds of ways and uh i'm trying to remember the numbers that were in the spreadsheet there actually aren't that many times where chris and i pick different outcomes um but when we pick different outcomes he is correct 64 percent of the time I'm only correct 36% of the time. That's so I'm guessing when we pick different outcomes, he's being analytical, and I'm kind of going, yeah, but... You, you know. pick Duke to beat... Or you pick Virginia Tech to beat Duke last year because you said, I'll never pick Duke to beat Virginia Tech <laughs> in a football game. And, and, I, I, said, and I said, I'm going to pick Duke because I think they're better than Virginia Tech right And, and I, I do that with Boston College also. I don't think I... I never, I never pick Boston College to beat Virginia Tech, and yet they've started to do it in the last five or so years. Um, so just file that one away. Here I am picking with my heart, but I'm only right about a third of the time when I apparently do. And if you go read the game preview article at the end, you can make your prediction actually on techsideline.com. Looking at the votes right now, 57% of the pollsters think that the Hokies win by 1 to 10 points. 22% thinks UNC wins by 1 to 10 points. And then 12% Hokies win by double digits. 9% UNC wins by double digits. Considering it's a, that's a Virginia Tech, all Virginia Tech people voting in that poll, that's actually indicative that it's going to be, that a lot of people are flipped on this game. Yeah, they, they think it's like, going to they, they, they don't know what's going to happen because we do have a lot of people that are going to vote with their emotions, right? So the fact that it's actually that close it's, is... And, and this is what we live for. We live for games like this. You know, this is this is exciting. So many great games on this weekend, and Tech UNC is one of the best in the entire country this week. It's on ABC at noon uh, from Chapel Hill. Of course, we'll have coverage on TechSideline.com, on Twitter, as well as on Facebook. And uh, I'm curious to see what the uh, YouTube live comments are looking like. Uh, when you guys went to uh, step aside during our break, I was telling folks if they want to drop a score prediction in there, feel free to do so. Malcolm, you said we had a lot of people chiming in, so I'm curious uh, what you got for us, my friend. So first, before you start into <laughs> it, Malcolm. Get me a Brave score, too. 4-0. <laughs> uh, I think the Braves are up. Oh, They're unbeaten in the postseason, and I haven't been able to did, watch did you a watch, game. Did you watch them oh, yesterday? No, 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 oh. of course not. I was working on the preview. Braves are up 4 nothing, top three. If they win, they're going to the NLCS. Uh, right, so I'll watch them play the Dodgers, finally. They'll put those two games on at night, and then they'll start losing. So, um, does the YouTube live streaming seem to be working well, Malcolm? Good. Because, okay. you know, as I said on the boards and, and on Twitter, we, we, we've been doing Facebook Live up till now because we have over 23,000 uh, followers on Facebook and only about 25 or 2,600 on YouTube. Um, we tried to do both Facebook and YouTube last week, and that did not go well. It created a lot of lag on, on, on both streams. So we're going with YouTube only today, and that's that's what we're going to do in the future. I yeah, think. yeah, yeah. 
you, you, for where we want to take the podcast, yeah. YouTube's a better fit. Yeah. 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 So glad to hear it's going well. And let's hear some questions. All right. We'll start with Blake Branzell. Aside from the QB position, which position group is the most important for the Hokies this weekend? Uh, it's easy to say defensive back, but I'm not going to say that. Uh, you know, I, I will say, gosh, I think you can either say defensive back, offensive line, or running back, right? But I will go defensive line. Um, I, I think Tech has looked susceptible to the run up the middle this year. Right. Um, but I don't think – I don't think UNC's offensive line, they're certainly not as good as NC State's. They're not as physical as NC State's up the middle. And they're more talented than Duke's, but I don't think they're as physical as Duke's on the inside. So I don't know if this is the type of offensive line that's going to be able to like blow tech smaller defensive tackles off the ball like we've seen a little bit in, in the last couple of weeks. So I'm going to be watching that battle. You know, if Virginia Tech holds firm up front on the interior – then I think that'll be a good sign. That's a good sign, yeah. We I'm going to go with the offensive line. I, I you know, um, man, you know, Christian Darasaw has had such a good year. Mm. And, and Brock Hoffman sets the tone, you know, and, and uh, that that's the position group I'll be watching. Yeah, let, let's not neglect Darasaw. I know we've, we're talking about Brock, Brock Hoffman nonstop. Christian Darasaw is the best football player on the team, regardless yes, of the on the entire yeah. team. Um, and – so, yeah, that, I'm glad we could bring him up. But I'll be watching the offensive line. I'm going to go with the linebackers. You know, Ashby and Hollyfield, not not really the start that they were hoping for defensively. They played well, but not up to the, the, the level that they were last year. I think linebackers are going to be very important for Tech if they're going to win this game on Saturday. Yeah, yeah I hope it would be nice if Alan Tisdale was back too. Because I think he's better suited in the open field for a guy like against a guy like Michael Carter. Plus, he's a North Carolina guy. He's a Greensboro guy. This game would mean up. a lot to him. Yeah. Good question, Blake. All right, from Trevor Mays. Do we think Jamari Connor will play better against Daz this year? Feels no. Like <laughs> I think it's impossible. Do, do we think he'll year. play better? Is he suddenly going to develop mm-hmm. a skill set he doesn't naturally have? Uh, um, you know, well, the thing he was hurt last year. Like, he had a he? hamstring injury for that game. Okay. Uh, what were his numbers last year? Nine catches, nine catches for yards, 112 yards. Two touchdowns. I will predict he doesn't have nine catches for 112 yards. <laughs> how much of that will be Jamari Conner and how much of it will be the rest of it? Um, I, that, I that's a tough matchup for him. Like Jamari, Jamari's one of those guys who I think if this was like 1998, like he would be one of the best defensive players in Virginia Tech history. I think he'd be great in that whip or rover role. Legendary whip linebacker. When, when teams didn't have to – when teams didn't spread the field as, yeah. as much. So it's almost like he was born about 15 years too late, yeah. but he's still a really good player. Yeah. But that's a tough matchup. That's him. a tough ask, man. I mean, yeah. Daz Newsom's really good. So uh, I think we covered it. Yes. I don't think Daz's stats will be as gaudy, but I'm not sure how much of that's going to be Chamon. Keep in mind, Daz Newsom coming into this game, just three receptions um, the first two yard. games of the year. Yeah. So. Uh, this guy's username is just Psych on YouTube, but will Herbert have another breakout game or will UNC load the box and successfully get Tech's offense off the field? I suspect that until Virginia Tech offense shows that they can consistently throw the football, every opponent we see from now on is going to be focused on stopping the Virginia Tech running game. And We've talked about this time and time again that the more games you play, yes, the more we find out about the team, but the more opposing coaches find out about the team also. And now there's two games of evidence that suggest that Virginia Tech can't throw the football. 
So why would you do anything other than put your cornerbacks on an island and bring your safeties up to help in the running game? Yeah. Like, why would you not do that? Uh, you, you may even see a five-man front, and that would put eight, eight nine guys in the box. Yeah. You know, um, but the question is, the question as it was asked, I believe, was will they be able to do that? That's all about the adjustments. You know, once you see that, um, I, so one, one way I can see it going, I'm not going to make a prediction about that, but one way I can see it going is that the running game won't work that great right right out of the gate. It will get better as the game goes well, it, on. It, well, it didn't work out against Duke. Right. Yeah. It got better as the game went on. Um, so it, it's all up to if, if they invariably come out and they stack the box like that, for what is uh, Brad Cornelson going to call to loosen them up a little bit, and then what happens to the running game? And wear them down, man. I mean, Tech's offensive line can wear people down. What did Seth Greenberg used to call like close basketball games? He called them like two-hour – not two-hour heart attack. Stomachache? Two-hour stomachache or, or something like that. Was yeah. that him or yeah. was that Buzz? No, that was that was Seth. Uh, For Seth. Seth pretty sure always, that was Seth. Um, yeah. Buzz's games weren't stomachaches. They were entertaining. So, 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 Seth's games were stomachaches. Something that I put in the preview that I want to bring forth on the podcast also is that, is that last year, uh, you know, I, I was not able to be in Lane Stadium last year. My niece got married, and that, that's a whole other story. And she's a, she's a South Carolina girl, you know. But So she gets married down in South Carolina the day that uh, Tech's play in UNC. So I wasn't there, but I did get to watch it on television. And the beginning did not go well. With two minutes left to go in the first quarter, UNC was leading 10 to nothing. Yep. They had 157 yards of offense, and Tech had 24 yards of offense. It looked grim. And then Tech came out, and they, they completed the long pass for a touchdown to Trey Turner, and, and it was on. So, yes, it's it's a three, three-and-a-half-hour stomach ache. Right. Don't, don't flip out if UNC comes out and gets a drop on Tech. Right, yeah, and that's where I was pretty much where I was going. Like, yeah. like there's going to be some good moments and some bad moments, yeah. uh, I think. Hopefully it'll all be good moments. It'll be great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would love another 59-7. I was actually thinking the other day, I was like, but the last four games against UNC have been so much fun for various reasons. Like, is it more fun to, like, beat them by 52 points or is it more fun to break their heart at the end? And I decided on 52 points. Neither one of these is a bad <laughs> outcome. That's right. I don't know if we answered the question. Uh, yeah. Uh, from Eric Fisher, any news on coaches that may be out for the game? I haven't heard, haven't heard anything. Yeah, we haven't coaches. heard any of that. We might have a full complement of coaches this week. That's not what. That's, that's, uh, that's another a daily podcast reminder. Thanks to Eric Fisher for being awesome and always commenting <laughs> that, and well, liking and watching. The cons- so. What's his consecutive streak of, can, of, of, of asking questions? Is this podcast 139? This is 139. <laughs> I think, so you know on College Game Day, they have the uh, Washington State Cougar flag that they always right. show. And <laughs> I think we need to have an Eric Fisher Question. consecutive streak. Like, we'll just randomly point. Oh, Eric Fisher's here. There's another one. You know, I mean, so anyways. Like, yeah, he's, the, he's the Cal Ripken Jr. of the Virginia Tech podcast. We need, we need to have a bell <laughs> that we can ding. Yeah, he doesn't miss. Thank you, Eric, for the question. All right. This will be the last one for today, and it's a bit long. From Michael Fogelgren, I think. If we don't get our secondary back and UNC manages to win, will this game really matter for the rivalry? Because when Chris Coleman does the game preview for 2021, he will give us the scores over the last five seasons and say something like, last season UNC won, but that was with COVID when we had our entire starting secondary out. 
I'm not making excuses for the potential loss, but I don't think UNC fans should get bragging rights from this one. You know, and I kind of feel the same way, the opposite, too. Like, if Tech wins the game, don't get me wrong, I'm going to be really, really happy, but I don't think we'll have beaten them. We won't be at full strength either, but they're not at full strength either because, like I said, I think they've had their own issues that slowed the development of their team and hampered their passing game. So there's going to be a reason to be happy for one of the fan bases, but I also don't – whoever wins, I don't think they'll have beaten the other team's best. Uh, you know, I, the sad thing about this game is, like, I, I think if, if both teams were 100% healthy and they'd been practicing mm-hmm. and there was no coronavirus and this was a normal year, I think whoever won this game would have a lot of bragging rights. Uh, a lot of fans are still going to treat it that way, but to me personally, like, if Tech loses, like, I'm not going to be mad at anybody. And I, But, you know, I'll be happy if they win, but I, I'm not going to go, like taunting UNC fans about it either because I don't think they're where they would be otherwise. Uh, I, th- I think that's a, that's a fair answer. Um, I, I've, I, th- I think that – let me figure out how I want to phrase this. Um, you know, Justin Fuente's 4-0 against UNC. Tech's 13-3 since they entered the ACC. Oh. But, you know, looking uh, – and one of those was vacated by UNC in 2009 for having, you know, bought and paid for players. Oh, that was like watching an NFL team play. Yeah, night. you know. Um, How unfortunate is it to one of those three losses had to be Coach Beamer's final home game at Lane Stadium, too. Yeah. Yeah. Not to bring up a sore subject, just thinking about the odds of that. And, the and UNC was an 11-1 football team that year. That's right. What sucks is, is like 13-3, and three, man, law of averages. Yeah. Well, so um, we are in – So um, – let me let me try to get my train of thought back. Um, so you've got the, that historical stuff, and it and it has become a great rivalry, especially in the last five years. They, there there was some good stuff about it, and then when they beat Frank in his last home game in 2015, that's when it started to ramp up. And so it's become a very important rivalry. Finally, after all these years, yeah, everybody hates UNC, but now you now you really hate them, don't you? After the last five years, and. But if you look at the horizon and see what's coming, you know they're they're rolling up a lot of four-star recruits. Um, they're the darlings of 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 ESPN, not not in not on an SEC or Big Ten level, not yet. Wait and see if they beat Clemson. Watch ESPN freak out. Uh, you know they almost did it last year. <laughs> so this is I don't like the way this is trending. On paper, they're out recruiting Tech. They're getting a lot more attention than Tech gets. So this the these games are becoming more and more important. And in a COVIDless world, I would have been I would have gone so far as to say Justin Fuente has to beat Mac Brown this year because it's only going to get more and more difficult, I think. I don't really have a point, you know, other than to say that that's kind of my take on what's going on right now. Yeah, uh, you know, if you look at this depth chart, there's very 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 few seniors. Granted, at the same time, if you look at Virginia Tech's depth chart, there's very few, very few seniors either. Yeah. There's only one senior for Tech on offense, and that's Khalil Herbert. Uh, obviously, he can come back if he wants to. I, I think there's no question that, that UNC is going to be have a lot of talented football players on their roster a couple of years from now. Um, the question is, like, how big will the hype get, and will Mac Brown be able to handle it? Like, you know, he won the national championship at Texas, and don't get me wrong, everybody's always hyped the Texas 
program to a certain extent. But after he won the national championship there, that hype machine just increased and increased and increased. And finally, ESPN gave him their whole network, right? Right. And then their results started going down and down and down. The more hype they got, the more the softer Mac Brown's teams got. Like, they couldn't – like, he's an old-school, tough-minded coach. I don't know that he handles – I don't know that he can handle, like, divas. So how, how diva will they get? Right. Yeah. So so let's let's and and if you look at if you look at the talent that Butch Davis put on the field for UNC in the late two thousands, you know that 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 defense in two thousand nine was an NFL defense. Oh yeah, it was that, great. That UNC had, and yet they still um, barely beat Tech that mm-hmm. year. And I think that was the only time they beat them. That was a Ryan Tech Williams State. fumble. Yeah, Ryan Williams fumble yeah. late in the game and, and, led to the game. And, and if he hadn't played. fumbled, there was nobody else there. He could have gone all the way. Yeah, so so even then, Butch Davis put a lot of talent on the field, but barely beat Virginia Tech. Right, and so will that be Mac Brown's story? He puts a lot of talent on the field, but can he beat Virginia Tech? Um, so one thing I meant to study and I have not studied it yet is so everybody says Mac can recruit, but uh, can he coach? Well, he took UNC to very lofty heights back in the late '90s. If, if Florida State had not been in the way, yeah, you know UNC would have would have been. Well, they were, I think they were a top five team. If Florida one State. Was, I remember that game in 1997. Seven. Uh, I want to say Florida State was, you know, number one or number two or number three or something like that. And I think UNC was between five and ten. I mean, that was a hyped game. And that, that was twenty to three Florida State, if three. I remember correctly. Yep, you know, exactly UNC right. was very competitive. Their defense some, was awesome. Some of the better Florida State teams ever. So you got to give Matt credit for that. And then you go to Texas, and he actually now granted he had Vince Young. But he did win a national championship in 2005. Look at Texas since then. You know, I've listened to ESPN, Sirius XM, college sports, and, and they were running down how mediocre Texas has been in the last 10 years. Well, since they played for the national championship, I think, in 2009, they've mm-hmm. been a very mediocre. He almost won two national championships. with the, If Cole McCoy doesn't get hurt, you don't yeah, know he got what hurt happens. In that national if, title, if, if he, you know, that, that was the first Alabama and title. Texas hadn't done jack since then. No, so, so how bad is Mac Brown really? Right. You know? And we'll see what he does at UNC this time around. So, so don't go around and just say, "Yeah, yeah, he can recruit, but he can't coach." Oh, well, he can certainly coach. Uh, he well, honestly, he's he's very very similar to Frank Beamer in a way, except I think he has an eye for both sides of the ball. Like he's always been able to hire really good assistants. Uh, Frank Beamer hired a really good team of assistants, but then like what really led to Frank's the beginning uh, da- downfall is the wrong word, but. When the program started slipping is when he lost those really, really elite assistants after 2005, and he did not replace them very well at all. And then he doubled down by removing probably the last elite regular assistant that he had, Jim Cavanaugh, from a coaching role, right? Um, Now, Mac Brown also one time fired Jim Cavanaugh, and that turned out to be a mistake. Um so they all make mistakes from that to a certain extent, but but I, I do think generally speaking, Mac is really good at at assembling coaching staffs. And I mean, I, I sat like I said, front row behind their bench last year, and this is Mac Brown the whole game. He's like a calmer, white-haired Dabo. <laughs> uh, you know, that's what he does. Like, I'm not saying like he's bad at X's and O's because I'm sure he knows a lot. I know he knows a lot more about football than me, but that's not. There are different types of head coaches. Like Justin Fuente is the X's and O's head coach. Mac Brown is more of the the Frank Beamer type of head coach, right? The 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 CEO 
type, and th neither one is wrong. I mean, like like both work at a high level at various places. Like Urban Meyer's an X's and O's guy, right? Nobody says you know he was a great coach. So so not to minimize what's going on between Fuente and Bronco Mendenhall, that's also a critical battle that Fuente faces, you know, on a year in year out basis. Um, but the one that determines Fuente's tenure. I'll say those two will determine Fuente's tenure at Virginia Tech. How does he handle the head-to-head -head against Mac Brown at UNC and Brock Mendenhall at UVA? Very fair. That, that was a really good discussion, actually. And if we weren't almost 90 minutes in, I would keep it going. <laughs> yeah. However, uh, Malcolm did just text me. We've got a lot of score predictions rolling in. We're almost at officially 90 minutes. Let's go ahead and just uh, first day on YouTube live. Uh, Malcolm, go ahead and chime in. What, what are the uh, comments saying? All right. Uh, James Reckling has it VT38 and C28. Dan Seitz, VT31, UNC27. My favorite, Hokie for Life, has it 70 to 7 Hokies. 70 to 7? I, I will say Hokie for Life's <laughs> prediction. It's, it's weird. Like, everybody seems like they're picking, like, upper 20s to low I do to think it's going to be a high-scoring game. Well, the the over-under is 59. It's funny. We consider 34 to 31 it was what I picked. I consider that a high-scoring game, but if we were like a Big 12, that would be like halftime. I, I, went, I went with 41, <laughs> man. I, I never do that. I picked 41. Dang, I really went on a limb there. Thomas Train has Hokies 48, UNC 28. Mm -hmm. Thomas, Thomas Lester with an interesting one. 42 to 38, pick the team. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> That's very fair. Well, uh, Elijah Sargent, 34-31 Hokies, and I think go. that's all of them. There all you right. go. All right, well, thanks, everybody, for chiming in. Uh, definitely a great first day with uh, YouTube Live. Last last thing I'll leave you with, if Tech were to win, they're at number 19 right now. I know rankings don't matter, but everybody likes to look at rankings. The highest uh, Justin Fuente Virginia Tech team in the AP poll is number 12. So depending on how the game goes and what happens around it. The highest ranked uh, Justin Fuente team has been. At, which, at Virginia, the highest ranking okay. Justin Fuente has achieved at Virginia Tech in the AP poll is number 12. When were you number 12? What year was that? Uh, when, they, when Virginia Tech lost to Old Dominion, they were number 12. <laughs> Jeez. So, which shows you the rankings are meaningless. So anyways, <laughs> just 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 saying that if, if, if Tech were to win and some teams were to happen, who knows when the AP poll comes out on Sunday what it could look like and where Virginia Tech, Tech should have been number 12 in the country after they lost to Clemson, right? If any uh, point we were number 12 in the country, that would have that, been it. You know, I think there was actually two times they were number 12, and it might have been the Clemson Tech game in 17, and then the last time it happened was Old Dominion. Uh, you know, in one poll, I mean, we were 10th. It must have been the coach's poll we were 10th before that there was a, There was a time where they went down to Miami. I don't remember what year it was where Tech was getting pretty high in the rankings. Yeah, I, I want to yeah. say they were close to 10th. I'll do some too. more research on that, if I'm wrong, but I'm, I'm, that, that, I'm, I'm very that certain was number 12 was poll. the highest it's, yeah. uh, in the AP. So, anyways. All right, so – uh, great game preview on TechSideline.com. Kristen will put a lot of time into it and go read it. Uh, Chris, if people want to follow along with TechSideline during the game, who are a couple of good Twitter accounts to follow and what can fans expect on game day? you got to stop following me on Twitter during games because as I've learned the hard way, my stream is well behind Twitter. So I, right, I, I, I get right. on Twitter when, what I think is during a commercial break the other day and – and Everybody else uh, everybody's like, oh, place. big sack, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what? Uh, you know? Yeah. Now, you are you a YouTube TV guy? I am. You know, I actually might go to the bar to watch the game this week because at one point this past week, my internet went out. Yeah. yeah. Like, my internet went out when Khalil Herbert broke that big, long kickoff return that everybody thought was a touchdown. <laughs> I also found out about that on Twitter since my internet went <laughs> Twitter, out. Twitter, great way to so, uh, stay up to date. So, I like, like, I can... My internet rarely goes out, but like, what if it? What if it randomly? Uh, now, why is like this not a commercial, right? 
like you know the whole satellite versus cable tv or or even now streaming or whatever and like for if you're streaming like if i'm a cable company i'm like get your friends over to watch the big game you've got (laughs) youtube tv and you're about to start watching and bam your internet goes out and you wish you still had comcast right um Um, so um i'm will stewart tsl Uh, oh i'm chris coleman tsl but like i said my my tweets will be few and far and uh cory will be tweeting i believe right yeah, he usually is. And I used to tweet all the all the game action out on the Tech Sideline Twitter feed. And then my agent advised me that if I was going to renegotiate my contract, that I needed to build my own personal um, social media following. So uh, I will be tweeting out my account during the game. And then scores and stats and stuff out on the Tech Sideline account. Fantastic. All right, gentlemen, we are at 90 minutes exact right now. This yeah. one of the longer podcast we've actually uh, we've ever done well, in a everybody's while. Everybody's fired up, so. man. Number eight, North Carolina. Number 19, Virginia Tech. A great preview of that game, and we can hope you join us on Monday morning as we will break down the game right here on episode what will be episode 140 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. All right, gentlemen, any closing thoughts before we say goodbye? No, nope. uh, I'm going to go watch the second part of the Braves game, and I'm sure as soon as I start watching them, the Marlins will start scoring some runs. That'll do it for episode 139 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. I want to thank all of you who chimed in on YouTube Live. And again, we hope you can join us on Monday morning to break down the Tech UNC game. That'll do it for us. For our managing editor, Chris Coleman, our founder and general manager, Will Stewart. He is the best producer in the land, Malcolm Stewart. And I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes, saying so long. And thanks so much for watching episode 139 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, brought to you by the Fisher Law Firm. Have a great weekend and enjoy the game. Mm-hmm.